Good evening and welcome to the Soho Theatre on May the 13th, 2012 for No Pressure to be Funny, created by Alistair Barry and Nick Revel and podcasting on the British Comedy Guide. It's now time to introduce someone described in today's Observer as charm personified and live on air last Thursday by Wayne from Woking as a knob, <laughs> which frankly we preferred. But it's the man we know as Mr. James O'Brien. Thank you, I think. Cheers. And welcome to No Pressure to Be Funny. You join us, of course, in the week when the Queen went to the Palace of Westminster for the opening of Parliament. And in her speech, Her Majesty promised that her government would cut the deficit. At which point I couldn't help thinking that selling the shiny hat she was wearing at the time would have been a start. Reform of the House of Lords is also possibly on the agenda. And surely it is time we replaced an upper chamber comprised solely of appointed members with something more like the American model, where the Senate is elected democratically by big businesses and lobbyists. <laughs> David Cameron and Nick Clegg renewed their vows this week. <laughs> in a tractor factory in Essex. <laughs> and they promised to rebuild the British economy, which currently consists of Downton Abbey and a tractor factory <laughs> in Essex. The French have just elected a socialist leader, so they must feel the kind of optimism that Britain did in 1997 when we elected Tony Blair. It can't be long now until France invades Iraq. <laughs> A strange amnesia seems to be sweeping the corridors of power at the very centre of the British state. And it's not just limited to News International. The government seem affected as well. We ourselves can't keep track of which government minister can't remember meeting which newspaper executive and which newspaper executive can't remember if the Prime Minister attended their 40th birthday party or if the Chancellor of the Exchequer dined at their house or not, lent them a horse or vice versa. I I'll tell you what the problem is clearly here. It must be that these people don't know how to access their old emails and phone records. Now, if only somebody had the expertise to help them with that. Rebecca Brooks, or Medusa, as I like to call her, looked very demure this week in her black and white new Puritan-style dress at the Leveson Inquiry. Maybe she chose to look like she's in a production of The Crucible to try to persuade us that there is a witch hunt going on. <laughs> and Jeremy Hunt's department issued this statement. Hunt is confident his evidence to Leveson will vindicate his position that he has behaved with integrity. No? It made me laugh. And, and actually, it's, it's beautifully worded. You'll notice it doesn't, it doesn't actually say that he has been behaving with integrity. It says he's confident he can get away with appearing to have behaved with integrity at the inquiry. And incidentally, as the storm of the Leveson inquiry intensifies, we'd like to take this opportunity to say to David Cameron, we're sorry, we can't be in direct contact with you at this difficult time, but keep your head up, LOL. <laughs> Thank you very much. And now it's time for our musical guest this evening, a no-pressure-to-be-funny regular. Please welcome Steve Gribbin.
Hello everyone, good evening. Uh, are we excited about uh, the forthcoming uh, Olympics? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. yes. <laughs> One person, that, that is the typical British reaction, isn't it? I think they ought to change the title of the London Olympics to uh, the sort of, oh, go on then if you must. I think, I think the, the opening ceremony should just be one bloke just stood there going, yeah, go on then. <laughs> that lane's closed. <laughs> Laying some cable, you know. It's not my fault. Anyway, uh, this is a, the thing is, I'm, I'm from Liverpool, but I do live amongst you now in a, a lovely part of London called Lewisham. And uh, <laughs> it's fantastic if you like the smell of kebab and cordite. But... Um, <laughs> I think they've missed a trick because um, they should rebrand the Olympics to take account of the, uh, the indigenous Cockney uh, population. So I'd like to do a tribute to the London Olympics uh, called the Cockney Olympics uh, in the style of one of the best indie bands that Britain has ever produced. Uh, I'm talking about the mighty gods of music that are Chaz and Dave. Thank you. Uh, yes, uh, um, uh, sort of uh, writers of such classics as Gucci, uh, Rabbit, and my brother-in-law's a toilet. So, um... That was a lesser-known one of theirs, but uh, number 13, 1984. So this one's called the London Olympics, and it goes something like this. Good job. You can get your gold and silver from the pearly queens and kings. Our new Olympic symbol is now five gold sovereign rings. All the races now have been renamed with brand new Cockney words. It's the 300 metres for geezers and the 200 for birds. <laughs> now the racetracks all have speed bumps because they have been revamped. After two fast starts, if they ain't moved, the runners all get clamped. You should see that look of joy upon that poor young athlete's face. Now she ain't won a medal, mate, she's found a fucking parking space. It's the Cockney Olympics. 1,500 metres having it large If you use the stadium Between 9 and 10 You'll have to pay the full congestion charge Good job The Thames is so polluted All our rowing teams are scared Their boat will split when they have it A giant steaming turd All our drug testers are cockneys Yes, every single one As they take a urine sample They say, be lucky, my son <laughs> It's the Cockney Olympics Cheat on my fat blokes in a rubber dub I say, go on my son Cos all the shooting's now done From a parked car outside a nightclub Yes, it's the Cockney Olympics Only 50 quid for a Coke and two ices Are you left to pawn all those medals you've worn Just to afford the ass prices Get off me property ladder It's the Cockney Olympics now good job Fantastic. <laughs> let's bring on the panel our first guest this evening is a comedian writer and the co-creator of Radio 4's Bigipedia Nick Doody Our second panellist is a comedian, writer and broadcaster who regularly appears on Match of the Day 2. As an avid Crystal Palace fan, it, it, it would be unfair to heap any more pain upon him at this point. So please, let us just welcome Kevin Day. Uh, 
And our final guest this evening is a, an American comedian, actor and activist who once said that Fox News was a festival of ignorance. The fact that he did this live on Fox News <laughs> means that he has not been invited to testify in front of the Leveson Inquiry because he can clearly remember doing it. Ladies and gentlemen, Lee Camp. Now, if, if, if you've been before, or indeed if you've listened to the podcast, you'll know that we begin the panel part of the programme with a section of the show that we call The Devil's Advocate. This evening, with the motion that The Devil's Advocate believes that democracy is really fun right now, please welcome Alistair Barry. It was, of course, Winston Churchill who said democracy is the worst form of government except for all those other forms that have been tried from time to time. <laughs> Seeing as he'd just been voted out of power after winning a world war, one can see why there may have been a little residual bitterness there, but at least as possibly the second most quoted man of modern times, he was then able to turn his attentions to the comedy circuit and take all those bookings that Oscar Wilde was no longer able to honour. <laughs> However, this month has seen a huge rejuvenation of the democratic impulse across Europe. Here at home, a massive one in four Londoners voted in the mayoral election, which might go some way to explaining why we returned the world's most preposterous haircut for another term. <laughs> With a turnout like this, democracy seems about as popular in London as Dominique Strauss-Kahn attending a women's refuge. Monsieur Strauss-Kahn did not, of course, get to run in the French elections in much the same way hotel maids don't get to run out of hotel rooms. <laughs> and so the presidency was contested by François Hollande and Nicolas Sarkozy, a man so in touch with his electorate, he took his £45,000 watch off whilst shaking hands with them in case anyone <laughs> wanted to take inegalité into their own hands or possibly just point out how little time he had left in office. <laughs> Hollande's victory was greeted by German Chancellor Angela Merkel with the promise that she would welcome him with open arms. To which Monsieur Hollande responded, My, Angela, what big teeth you have. <laughs> Germany and France are now, of course, working together to sort Europe out, something Churchill might have managed to work up into some sort of half-decent routine. The big problem is Greece, of course, who accidentally got invited into the Euro a few years ago in much the same way your skint mate gets invited on a pub crawl because you go back a long way. <laughs> Greece, of course, goes back further than most and they joined the fun by rejecting the two main parties and their austerity measures. It's quite hard to get too angry at them for this as they did invent democracy in the first place but I can't be the only one who wants to extend the skint mate analogy by remembering that advert that encouraged you to shop your mates who were working cash in hand while claiming benefits the Greeks really don't seem to enjoy paying taxes now we all know paying taxes isn't as much fun as democracy but let's not forget the Greeks also invented anal sex and there's now a chance we're all going to get shafted in a way that's simply not to everyone's liking. <laughs> and that's no fun at all. Finally, America's presidential fundraising drive, or election, as they still quaintly refer to it, began in the same week that Russia returned Vladimir Ilyich Lenin Stalin Putin to power for a previously illegal third term, with exuberant crowds so worked up they had to be calmed down with tear gas. Now, if that's not fun, I don't know what is. And this wonderful system that we've spent most of the century trying to export around the world really does seem to be the most fun you can have right now, with the possible exception of all those other forms of fun 
that have been tried from time to time. Thank you very much. Can I, can I point out, if there are people in the audience who are middle class Labour supporters who just couldn't bring themselves to vote for Ken, I will hunt you down and kill you. <laughs> for exercising your perfectly legal democratic right to vote who you want. The amount of Labour votes, I just can't bring myself to vote. So you'd rather get, you'd rather Boris got in than put up with... Yeah. They, they, they I, I don't know which to vote for. I don't hate black people or Jews. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, they, they started tweeting. Alan Sugar, I think, tweeted, don't vote for, for Ken and another prominent Labour... Pe-. And it was a sort of North London... Uh, this is what you're referring to, this idea that, that you know, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool, de- 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 desperate Labour supporter, but I couldn't possibly <coughs> vote for Ken Livingston, I'm going to vote for Boris Johnson. I, I did generally get... I'm sure they didn't actually vote for Boris, I'm sure they voted for somebody else, but... Jenny Jones end, did quite the end, well. The, the minority was small enough for that to make a difference. Yes. My point is I get very cross with people who live in very nice, comfortable houses in Stratham, because whoever gets in, it, it, it's not going to affect their lifestyle. It's going to affect the lifestyle of, my, of people like my dad, but it's not going to affect their life. They can vote for whoever they want without impunity because they, they won't be affected by whoever gets, becomes mayor. And it annoys me that people play fast and loose with the vote simply because they couldn't bring themselves to vote for that man. Lee, you're, you're I don't know why, uh, yeah. why Gary Busey was even running in your election. For the two people that know what Gary Busey looks like, that was funny. <laughs> totally, totally different reference. There'll be lost on anyone under 25. But for me, the choice between Ken and Boris was a choice between Zippy and Bungle. <laughs> and where does that leave Brian Paddock? George. You, uh, <laughs> I think you find, as the Evening Standard referred to him, every time they mentioned him, the openly gay Brian Paddock. Yes. And he couldn't mention him. Every time the Standard mentioned Brian Paddock's name, it was referred to as the openly gay Brian Paddock. But that might be some sort of residual <laughs> name? media homophobia that you're. Oh, of course it is. Well, is it, uh, is it not the only thing anyone yeah. knows about Brian Paddock? I mean, they can't no, just say ex copper. They could have said Openly ex, gay ex copper. Ex, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. You're quite, no, I'm sorry, you're quite right. There are, his CV is a cornucopia. <laughs> Yeah, a fascinating fact and interesting thing. But I, I, it does I, look like the, the village people may have been misleading as a gay to just how excited people get about gay policemen. <laughs> it's because he didn't have the right sidekicks. Oh, police marks would have been great if they all dressed up as a couple from village people, wouldn't it? It'd be amazing. So that, that police federation, I don't know people are underestimating how important it is that the police marched in London on uh, Thursday. Because mm. the police federation are the most openly pro Tory. In William Hague's darkest hours, the only. Uh, to function to the police federation funds. The fact that the police are marching against the and also what I want to, I'd love, I'd love. A, I got annoyed because they didn't get bored and start kettling themselves. <laughs> and also, I just wish there'd been a fantastic argument at the end when all the coppers that weren't marching said there's about five thousand people and the coppers that weren't marching, <laughs> said, no, twenty thousand. <laughs> <laughs> What's it like in? In, in, do people vote for mayors in the numbers in America? For, do they turn out big time? Is it a bigger deal? I mean, the mayor of New York is one of the biggest gigs in, in the country. Isn't yeah, it? I mean, I guess more, but I, I doubt it's more than you know thirty percent or whatever. Yeah, I don't think it's that much more. But but this personality thing, like that's to me, that's like every election in the U.S. It's it's all comes down to a goddamn personality. That's all it is. It's so remind us how George W. Bush won, then. <laughs> <laughs> that, no, that, that's what everyone said. Oh, it's the guy I want to... Well, not everyone. The idiot said, it's the guy I want to have a beer with. And you're like, he's got to run the fucking country, all right? He can't... You didn't have a beer with... If you were dying of some illness, oh, I want the surgeon I could have a beer with. <laughs> and that's why when it, when it comes down to policy, it comes down to sort of really non-political stuff, almost ethical stuff in the States, as, as it seems to be going in this country. So you're talking about your uh, right-to-life lobbies, your, your gay marriage is becoming a, a big issue here in the way that it was there. We're going to talk about that later. So you don't have this. We've got quite a, uh, an intricate and sophisticated 
uh, battle between Keynesian economics and, and the Austrians. Yeah, we don't have anything sophisticated. No. Yeah. I didn't mean to malign the entire no, nation no, of I America. No, no, I was agreeing with you. Oh, yes. That so, wasn't sarcastic. But Barack Obama seems like a very intelligent fellow. <laughs> but I, uh, he intelligently knows how to be in bed with the bankers. So there's yes. no... There's, there's... <laughs> Both sides have learned, some through idiocy and some through intelligence, how to be in bed with the bankers. When you get involved... In your, I sound like my mum then. Well, I was about to say, when you get involved in your activism. Before tea. I didn't, yeah, like when you get with your nice friends. Before when you, you grow out of it. No, I don't mean it like that at all. You know I don't. But, but you don't have a mandate either. So I know you're heavily involved in Occupy Wall Street. We can sit around in a slightly smug way and mock the fact that, that Boris Johnson got such a tiny proportion of eligible votes. Of course, if Ken Livingston had won, the conversation among supporters of the left would have gone in a slightly different way. But because that would have been democracy. Yeah. It, Him winning would have been democracy. Yeah. Not winning is not democracy. You see what I mean? That's the whole thing about democracy. <laughs> yeah. on, the, on the Thursday night when Labour were winning the council elections, democracy was brilliant. Yes. On Friday night, democracy was shit. <laughs> that's the whole thing with democracy. That's exactly where we judge it on whether we win or not. That's simple that. I, I was going through a similar process about five hours ago when, when I thought that the Premier League in this country was the best in the world, and then 90 seconds later, I thought it was the biggest crock of shit I'd ever encountered in my life. It's exactly, you speak of the same principle, of course you do. And that's kind of relevant, isn't it, in that, that this new grassroots movement for political change, which is clearly genuine and supported, but it's not supported in any countable way. Well, I mean, you know, the only things that get the majority of support of the American people is whether they liked Transformers 3. I mean, that's, like, it's, mm. people just aren't, they're, they're not active, they're not aware, largely, it's, I mean, you know, you can blame a lot of things for that, terrible media, but it's, you know, the, the voting, I don't know. It's, you, you have it's, a sense that if people were more enlightened, they would be more engaged. Which is yeah. a little patronizing. Yeah, oh, oh yeah, completely patronizing. You know, also, uh, if, they, if they were offered something that promised maybe a difference, rather than two slightly socially different wings of the business party. I think that, honestly, I think it's a combination of some of them aren't suffering enough in that they've got their video games and they're happy enough, you know, they've got their house, they've got their $1 McDonald's meals, so... $1? Yeah, $1. For a whole meal? For, well, at least a hamburger and some fries, I think. But, so, so what is there, so what is there to worry about? And then the other, the other side of it is that it's, uh, some of them are hurting a lot in a certain way that in, they're in deep in debt and they work all day and they come home and they just want to have a beer and go to sleep. It's, so it's, I think it's a combination of those two things and so as to why more people aren't marching or standing up. I mean, the number of people that have said they support Occupy but have never <coughs> been to a march or been anywhere is a lot. Um, yes. The, um, you say so. The, it's interesting. The British press and the British government seem to be terrified at the moment. The, the French election result seems to really upset and the, the fact that uh, Spain, Greece, Italy, across Holland, across Europe, ordinary people are voting against uh, austerity yes. seems to horrify the, the British press because the, the amount of editorials you read along the lines, well my favourite was the letter in the Daily Telegraph which was addressed to Stephen Fry which said, are these really the sort of people you wish to return the Elgin marbles to Mr Fry? <laughs> uh, that's, that's the level at which they're happy. But they're, they're, terrifi- they're terrified in case we catch it. They, they, they hold the, all the, the yeah. Sun editorial this week, the Telegraph editorial, was exactly about British people are too intelligent to, to fall for the, the, the chimera of socialism. We will take the austerity. We'll take it. But, and, uh, but, but like this morning, William Hague's blaming us for it. William Hague says the only way out of it is hard work. It's like blaming a toilet bowl when you've got diarrhoea. 
It's the toilet bowl's getting real. It's, it's yes, it is. Yeah, but it is. It is. Yeah, sorry. I thought long enough. I came up with this. I like, I like the words, and I had to try to find a way to make the words fit the actual thing. But it's... And they, really it, run, they, they really do seem to think that they have to try and firewall it. It's, it's, it's only, only 70 miles away in France they can use the word socialist openly without people going, all right, mate, it's not the 80s anymore. It's, they're worried it's that it's going to catch it. And it's, it's, of course, of course it's people, a, of course people are The coverage is the same in the U.S. of what I've seen. It's, it's like what the, the, the specific report I saw was the people in Greece and France have decided not to take responsibility for their yeah. debt. yeah, yeah. It's a responsibility thing. Well, a, a lot of it is, you know, uh, whether the people are going to pay the gambling debts of the of the corporations and the bankers. This is why Alistair was sort of talking about the notion of democracy being fun. It's very easy to think there's something wrong with it, but as you've said, what's wrong with it is that it keeps giving results that don't necessarily appeal to the to the bien pensant. <laughs> well, it's, it's going to, isn't it? And, and, until there's until there's an option given that maybe doesn't. So what we have now. There's a, there's a phrase that's sometimes used in uh, economics, which is the reality of mathematics uh, has a Keynesian bias. I'm just feeling sorry for the people that only just walked in. No, if you're not up on your mathematics with a Keynesian bias, <laughs> you shouldn't have bothered. <laughs> well, I mean, there's plenty of very high thoughts of Nobel Prize winners and so forth saying that, that you do not slash spending in the way that this government is during a recession. It just, it just kills growth. And... Um, the government that we've got just go la 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 can't hear that and just complete just repeat the same bullshit about you know the nonsense as though it's the economy of a, you know economics of a, of a in, household inherited well they inherited the problem which is kind of running out of yeah, steam now and 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 this is where the public sector strikes this week became so interesting and and there's quite a broad well, I mean there's Wayne in Woking who Nick referred to in his introduction has had the audacity to call me a knob this week when I simply suggested that it probably shouldn't be prison officers and policemen that are effectively paying to, to deal with the deficit. Well, unfortunately, there's still... I mean, this, this sounds hopefully, hopelessly old-fashioned and people... Don't say, worry. Because, well, the establishment of this country still likes to work on divide and rule, so the more they can get private sector workers phoning you up to complain about public sector workers, yeah. the happier they're going to be because it means the people that are really responsible don't have to stand up to it. Did you see the letter that did the rounds uh, last week? Uh, so the Sunday Times rich list has come out, mm. and the richest people in the country have got a lot richer during double rich, uh, double oh, yeah. like sixteen percent richer or something. And some pointed out that just the amount by which they've got richer, yeah. so that you, you yes, four point seven percent would completely pay off the debt. Four hundred eighteen billion pounds in total. I saw I saw this thing in a, an airport a magazine with the headline. Yachts to beat the credit crunch. Yes. <laughs> Fuck you! <laughs> if you, had, if you oh, I had to get a smaller yacht than the one I really wanted, paint <laughs> one on your penis and go to your room. <laughs> does anybody know how long how long does trickle down take to trickle down? Because it's been trickling for quite some time, hasn't it? <laughs> yes. Any trickle at all? I'd rather not be pissed on at all. So earlier you said you know if there was someone that was really worth voting for, then maybe people would come out. And, they, they, you know, I can, I can speak to the U.S. They exist. Like, there is a third-party candidate who I talked to the other day who is running is the, under the Justice Party, and he's like Obama if Obama did everything he this said he was going to do. and was gen- No, not Ron Paul. Right. And was genuinely a left-wing guy. Ron Paul's a libertarian. This guy is a full-on left-wing and won't even take corporate donations. And this guy's out there, and the media won't cover it. No one will discuss it. You know, he's got, like, a 1,000 supporters. It's, it's amazing.
And it, it's deliberate on the part of the media not to support him. Yeah, I, I think it's corporate media, and I but think they <coughs> they play the game of these are the two guys. Are this is sure? the, this is the boxing talk- match we're going to watch, and that's all we can talk about. The way they jumped around Ron Paul, who I, I'm not a Ron Paul supporter, but he should get equal coverage. Uh, the way they jumped around it was hysterical. Like at times he would get second place in a state primary, and they would show it on the screen because it's a list of who got what, and they would just not mention him. So they would go, look who got first, third, fifth, and they would just skip Ron Paul. Because they don't, they don't, the media don't have to support people, that's fine, but they, they should have a duty to report it. It's like Jenny Jones in the London election. There was no mention of her in the only outlet, which is the only print outlet. They mm. should be forced, every candidate, and I hate to say this, but even the, even the, the BMP candidate with the fantastic name Carlos Castilla, which I, I'd love to have been at that meeting. When they, <laughs> when they, who's our candidate? Carlos. Who? <laughs> Carlos. I don't to send you, I'm sending you all back. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Nick Revel. I don't know if you noticed about 10 days ago, uh, Edward Monk's painting, The Scream, sold in auction uh, in New York for uh, $120 million. Uh, that's £74 million, or from next week, £850,000 billion. Euros. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, the man who sold it, Peter Olsen, he's Norwegian, he said before he put it to auction, I feel the moment has come to offer the rest of the world a chance to own and appreciate this remarkable work, the rest of the world. Uh, I don't know about you, I clean forgot to put my bid in. And the weird thing was I'd found a spare 74 million quid down the back of the sofa the previous evening and then in the morning it had completely slipped my mind. Now, you might think, as I did, that maybe this Peter Olsen sold the painting because, like everyone else, he's feeling the effects of the recession and he needed a bit of extra cash. Turns out he's a billionaire member of the Norwegian Olsen shipping family and there's been a legal dispute in the family about who owns the painting. Can't speculate further on that for fear of libel, but it's clearly not about the fucking money. (laughs) He could have given it away to a museum where everybody could see it, but no. Now... When you're talking about art, it's always hard to define what makes a, a great work of art. A lot of the time, you can't say why it is. You just, you just feel it, don't you, in the same way that you'd never entrust the care of a young teenage girl to Prince Andrew and his friends. You, you can't say why. You just feel it. <laughs> And I do think The Scream is a great work of art, if only because everybody knows it, even if they don't know that they know it. They've seen parodies, they've seen copies of pub signs, and somehow it speaks to us, says something to us, that tortured face, about the human condition. And, and when, you look at someone what, when you look at something that somebody tells you is a great work of art, you might agree, you might disagree, but you have to engage your critical faculties to support your opinion. So if nothing else, it makes you engage with the world and maybe understand it a bit better or just realise that you understand it less. There's a process going on. But the guy who bought it looked at it and thought, £74 million now, more when I sell it. We can at least learn one thing from this. When, while you may not know exactly what conclusions to draw when you're looking at a great work of art, the conclusions that you can draw when you can't look at it anymore are pretty clear. Someone in a recession can afford to spend £74 million on a fucking painting. 
The another thing is that uh, looking at a work of art does is it fires your imagination. I find myself imagining meeting the person who owns uh, the screen now, and maybe they'd show you the painting, and no doubt they'd start explaining to you exactly why the 1% really can't afford their fair share of the tax burden, because I, for one, would probably bring that up. And you'd be listening to them, you'd be looking at the tortured face of the screen, and you would be feeling like you were staring into a mirror. Thank you. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. In Italy, there's a comedian called Beppe Grillo who just polled 10% of the vote in the Italian municipal election. What would you do, Nick Doody, if you were to become president, prime minister, or, or, or queen? Mon uh, monarch. Legalise drugs across the board. Then I would launch an inquiry into how I had become the president <laughs> <laughs> in, in a constitutional monarchy. <laughs> Which you didn't when, 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 when I hadn't even run. <laughs> I'm not sure. And then I would start to wonder why I was wearing military fatigues. <laughs> <coughs> you realise this was a sort of hypothetical discussion the Lib Dems had just before the last election, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do if we get in? Oh, I'm going to go giraffe for every garden. Because <laughs> we ain't getting in. <laughs> Much as I support Oxfam, I would ban them from showing adverts during food programmes, because that's quite <laughs> Uh, cold. What this speaks to, honestly, that, that a comedian is being taken seriously. Yeah, in, in, in Italy. Aspect, what, Pepe it, Grillo. what it really speaks to is the fact that people don't trust politicians and they don't trust the media and they're literally turning to comedians. You guys have shown up here to think what we do. Look at what we think. People are literally turning to comedians to find out the truth. Like it's insane. People are people in the U.S. Some of them, some of them are literally getting their news from the Daily Show. I mean, it, it's because people look at the media and they're like, "Well, that, that's shit." All right. Well, this guy seems to have some truth behind. Like, it, and and it, it it really isn't. I really think we're at the point where, like, if you have a politician on one side and a clown on the other, people would be like, "Shut the fuck up. This guy's saying something." Let's, let, yeah. let's listen to the clown. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Gribbin. The biggest global phenomenon of music is uh, hip-hop, and so I'd like to do uh, the world's first fundamentalist Islamic hip-hop song. Uh, it's brought to you by the slack-eyed jihadis. It's, it's uh, called Boom Boom Pow. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> this one goes something like this. Here we go. Check out our lyrics, they're translated from Egyptian. Check the inscription, our rhymes are really bitchin'. Coming at you like a set of hieroglyphics. Mindset medieval and our views on sex horrific. We are the fundamental Islamic rappers. Kill all homosexuals, adulterers and slappers. Unmarry sex, then you be dead. Our penal code is harsh, you end up really giving head. Where is the hate in our universal worldwide caliphate? Come on and join our dance. Just strap on these ticking underpants. They're called difference. I got 99 problems, but a burka ain't one. Girl, I am the baddest. I'm a jihadist Of all the lonely young men in the world I am the saddest Ain't never had a girlfriend Who's touched my cock I sit here in my lonely room And fiddle with my laptop Oh, 
I'm so alone, my throbbing bone A suicide bombing's the only way that I'll get blown <laughs> Bit of scratching by Abu Hamza <laughs> Flying lessons in New York God said it is wrong to kill, that is my conception But anyone who disagrees with us is an exception Apostates and infidels, they are less than human A worldview is more depressing than Gary Newman In cars <laughs> Don't you wish your girlfriend had a beard like me? <laughs> Where is the love? As a CIA drone drops in from above Saudis invade Bahrain, you don't do anything You can get away with anything if you flash enough bling The unity of the Muslim nation, it is near Unless of course you're a Sufi or a Shia Music is forbidden, on that we're very strong That is why we're going to kill the singer of this song Thank you very much Steve Griffin CIA released a report last week about the killing of Osama bin Laden. And there's two things in there, one of which my dad was quite impressed with. He said Osama died like a man because they revealed that he had the TV remote in his hand when he died. And a hidden porn stash. He, even then, he wouldn't, even then he, wouldn't, he couldn't prize a TV remote out of his cold, dead hand. <laughs> they reported that at one stage they considered getting an actor in to mimic the voice of Allah to lure him out of the compound. No. But couldn't decide what Allah sounded like. So they had a genuine... So I just had this vision of them going through. Uh, Alan Davis? No. No. Uh, Stephen Fry? No. Monsters? They had a genuine discussion. And that, the voice. So, so Osama, Osama would be there and go, Osama. <laughs> you think you should come out now? <laughs> Why are you speaking English? <laughs> this is the U.S. military. who yes. They genuinely spent a million dollars researching the creation of a gay bomb. A bomb to turn the enemy gay. Really? Really. Google it when you... I mean, be careful what you click on when you Google gay bomb. <laughs> that's, that's the worst practical joke ever. I could just, I'm going to go home and my wife will be asleep in bed upstairs and she'll come down to see how the evening went and I'll be sitting there on the computer going, gay bomb. <laughs> <laughs> gay people are really good fighters. <laughs> yeah, why would they Obama, not be? Obama said one of the reasons Obama came out and said he was in favour of gay marriage was that he was inspired by the... the he didn't come out and oh, say right, he was in favour of gay marriage. <laughs> Uh, Spartans, it was Spartans. You had, to be, you had to be gay to be a Spartan warrior. They were fucking mental. You don't have to go far in the, in the sort of lunatic fringe of the Christian movement in this country and in the States to find people who think they can do the opposite. You find people who think they can cure gays. And so it's a natural. Anti gay bomb. Yeah, it's a natural progression to think you could do it the other way around. And pray away the gays. Pray away the gays. Pray away the, pray gay away the gays. It's not going to work. You can't pray away athletes' foot, and that's natural disease. <laughs> 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 I'm a. Uh, <laughs> I get really cross because I'm, I'm agnostic and I, 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 I get really cross with friends of mine who are, who are, who are proper Christians because for example the, a friend of mine is trying to defend the, the Christian couple who had a, the bed and breakfast and got fined a thousand pounds for turning a gay couple away and you get cross because A there are simpler ways of, of you know, preventing gay people going just make sure the curtains and the duvet don't match <laughs> not right? but but what really annoys me is I've been to I've been to the Vatican. The Vatican is the gayest building in the world. Yes. In the Sistine Chapel, there are colours that straight people can't see. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, you, it's 
like a dog whistle, but gay colours. Exactly yeah. A friend of mine said, well, there were, there were no gays in the, in the Apostles. Well, technically, there were no Christians either. It's ludicrous. It's true. a stupid argument. If you read it, you know, whatever you think about Jesus, Jesus would be the most pro-gay man in the world. It's ludicrous. Yes, he would, but, although if, yeah. if you said that in a musical... You would get That's death. True. You would get well, death threats. By the sort of people, by the sort of idiots I'm talking about, who don't represent. My, my father-in-law is a Methodist minister, and I get cross on his behalf because those people don't represent the, the thousands of Christians who, are on a daily basis, going about their their, their belief and, and doing decent things. Right, but, but you see, uh, uh, this week was also when it came out that that Mitt Romney had apparently been like a anti-gay bully in high school. Yes. Like, had, had actually... Really? Yeah, mm. he held the, the kid they called gay. I don't know whether the kid was actually gay or not, but the he kid they called gay... He had a blonde fringe. He, he, yeah, he, uh, he dyed his hair blonde, and he and other kids held him down and cut his hair off. And this all comes out at the same time. I mean, I don't know why anyone's impressed that Mitt Romney was an asshole in high school. He's an asshole now. It's not... <laughs> Well, it's evidence. Far, yeah. It's evidence. Uh, you see, at the moment now, asshole now is, is 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 suspicion based upon politics and positioning. He's too careful ever to actually sit on a gay schoolboy and cut his hair off. He wouldn't do that now, in the context of an American presidential election. Maybe were, the advisors <laughs> would be like, "We think this is yeah. a bad move." And not even. <laughs> Obama came out loosely in favour of gay marriage, and an American commentator said, "This is an outstanding act of bravery." His mm. comments. It's, it's, a bit, it's a bit late. <laughs> but it's 2012. Is it not astonishing that a president saying that people who love each other should be allowed to get married, then that's hailed as an outstanding act of bravery? It just it beggars beliefs. I, I get, the only thing you can do with people who say they're against gay marriage, there's no point in even arguing with them. You just say, well, the reason you're upset about it is because you're subconsciously hiding your own latent homosexuality. Right? And, then right. leave, and then leave the room. Just fuck off. Leave them to it. Just sometimes you look at the news and you think uh, you must be missing something. Uh, you look at a story and you think there must be something else going on yeah. under the surface. There might be. I mean, aside from the fact of the, the idiocy of being against gay people, like, weddings are already the gayest thing straight people do. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. But, but I think there is an attempt, and it's, it's probably not going to work, but there's certain aspects of the... Uh, political right in this country that would quite like it if you could run just on a single issue like gay marriage uh, like abortion yeah. in a way that they managed to in the states because it's a lot more religiously led and so they keep testing the water like that right. so Baroness Wasi was over in the Vatican talking about you know the creeping secularisation the militant secularists and so forth and if if they are able to frame things like that then it may, you know they can hide the whole kill the poor thing and just go on gay marriage. They're looking for a maypole <laughs> to invite the, 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 the sort of electorate to dance around while completely ignoring what's going on around them. Especially in the US. I mean, they've covered nothing but this gay story. And you're like, what aren't they covering while they're well, so busy on this no, gay you story? No, you're not being fair, Lee. They've also discovered an underpants bomber. They, that know, was a CIA agent. That, that, that was already, a, actually, I think you'll find he was MI6. Oh, was he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what was remarkable about the story was that they found the bomb and they didn't find the person who had made it. They didn't find an aeroplane that had been identified as the target for it. There was no... Uh, the person who was going to be carrying the bomb onto the unidentified aeroplane, as Lee quite rightly says, was actually a double agent, so they already knew about him. So I did find, for the first time in a, in a very long while, again, I looked at that story and just thought, oh, yeah, it, it, it's election year. This is too... This is a really rubbish... This is, a, this is a case of the right ball not knowing what the left ball is doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, in, in intelligence context it was. But then an American 
told me that because I was saying, well, this is so many holes in this story. This is ridiculous. How can you be getting excited about this story? About this? Right. And then apparently in America, all you need to do, and I hope I'm not oversimplifying your country, but all you need to do. <laughs> <laughs> All you need to do in America is, is people stood up in bars and started cheering and going, yee-haw. These are bars where they don't even have the sound on. The subtitle comes out saying, we've caught an underpants bomber. He's probably an Arab. And everyone's saying, yeah, USA, USA. And, and all my search I'm for the subtlety taking, of this story seemed a little redundant. I'm just taking issue with the word yee-haw. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else you've nailed. <laughs> But we had our own we had our own version though because this whole not every every security event we have the the sun last week tried to smuggle in a bomb in what they said to the Olympic Park which was clearly uh, uh, was it a Tupperware or something yeah. Tupperware type thing with a mobile phone and some screws in and the guy the security guy because the bomb they did they caught the man they apprehended it and the guy in charge of security said it was obviously a box with a mobile phone and some screws in it <laughs> <laughs> so we let him carry it in. <laughs> <laughs> And then, they, and then they ran with bomb allowed in stadium. Of course they did. He was quite, quite in the paper. He said, yeah, of course he had a mobile phone. It wasn't a bomb. It's just brilliant. It's literally, it's Barry from Plumbing. All he had was a mobile phone, box full of nails, about eight candle-like things. I just love it. I missed that completely. And it didn't stop the sun, as you say, from going massive with a, we got a bomb into the Olympics. Every time. Because the every time a tabloid journal smuggles a fake bomb in put them in prison like you would with a real bomb okay. if you want to do it do it properly yes. it's only a matter of time before one of them actually blows up a stadium go, the sun blew up the stadium <laughs> how long before they tied up where the were those so called security I was able guards. to slaughter 6,000 people before anyone stopped me writes the sun's editor <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen please join me in thanking Kevin Day Lee Camp and Nick Doody I, le- I, leave, I leave you with some, uh, some other news that you may have missed. It, it has been proven scientifically now that fracking, this new way of getting gas out of the ground, causes earthquakes and poisons water supplies. The industry explained that we need to do it uh, or we won't have enough carbon fuels to destroy the ozone layer on schedule. (laughs) The Olympic flame, meanwhile, began its 10,000-mile journey from the rural idyll that is Mount Olympus to Stratford this week. (laughs) Now, there's a badly designed holiday. Apparently, it will arrive in England early next week, as it's been told to leave plenty of time for queues at Heathrow and (laughs) delays on the Docklands Light Railway. Thank you so much, and do come to the next No Pressure to Be Funny on June the 10th. I'm James O'Brien. Good night. (laughs) 